What is social anxiety? Why does social anxiety happen? And can you learn how to deal with social situations if you have an anxiety disorder? That's what I'm talking about this week here on Let's Talk About Mental Health, the weekly podcast that teaches you how to look after your well-being. So get comfortable and let's talk about mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 197 and thanks so much for joining me as I talk about social anxiety and mental health. I'm Jeremy Godwin and I share practical tips you can apply immediately based on quality research and my own personal experience following a breakdown in late 2011 that changed my life. Each week I look at how to improve one specific aspect of your well-being. In this episode I'll be talking about what social anxiety is, why it happens, and how to manage social anxiety in a healthy way. So, let's talk about social anxiety. I don't know about you, but ever since the pandemic that's not actually over, but we all just pretend it's over, (laughs) I've had the social skills of a brick wall combined with a total lack of willingness to put myself in situations that make me feel uncomfortable. Which, I'll admit, is probably a bit of a red flag for my social well-being. Look, I'm not talking about a stranger danger level of fear of socializing here. If you're not familiar with that saying, it's a thing we were taught at school as kids so that we quite rightfully wouldn't go accepting lollies and whatnot from strangers, but it just ended up scaring the living crap out of all of us and making us think that every stranger wanted to keep us at the bottom of a well while telling us it rubs the lotion on its skin. Just a little Science of the Lambs flashback to terrify you for the rest of the day, so my apologies. What I'm referring to here is the sense of discomfort that social situations can cause, whether that's just one-on-one, in a small group, or in a much larger setting. I'm possibly a bit unusual here in the sense that I can very happily stand up and talk in front of, of a large group of people. In fact, I thrive on it. But if you put me in a room with a few other people who I don't know and tell me to make conversation, I would probably prefer to gouge my own eyeballs out with a celery stick. On a side note, I have no idea why this episode is leaning towards such macabre references today. I don't watch horror films, so it's definitely not that. The most gruesome thing I've seen in the past few weeks has been season five of What We Do in the Shadows the least horrifying vampire show anyone could possibly watch. So anyway, I'll try to stay on track, but I just thought it was interesting that I'm making these types of references randomly today. So where was I? My recent experiences with social anxiety. This is probably just a byproduct of working from home. So I don't really interact with too many people in the real world as much anymore but I'm quite mindful of not letting myself become too much of a shut-in. I mean, I'm not, but I'm hyper-conscious of it because my therapist is constantly pushing me to get out more. But there are some settings where I struggle. For some reason, the larger Bunnings stores seem to be one of my main triggers. It's a hardware store like Lowe's in the US or B&Q in the UK. And whenever I'm in one, I just find it overwhelming, which doesn't help because A, we're slowly renovating our house, and B, my partner absolutely loves going into those stores. 
So I've had to learn to adapt by taking my Kindle and sitting in the cafe while he happily spends an hour in the garden nursery section looking at 14 different versions of the same tree. The thing is that knowing how social anxiety affects you and having a plan in place to manage it can be an absolute lifesaver when it comes to getting yourself through challenging social situations, and I'll be exploring that in more detail a bit later. First, let's get ourselves onto the same page and let's talk about what is social anxiety. Social anxiety is that uneasy feeling you get when you're worried about being judged or embarrassed in front of others. Think of it as being a bit like stage fright, but in everyday social situations. Now, while many of us feel a bit nervous from time to time, social anxiety takes this to another level entirely. It's like a powerful ongoing feeling of dread that can make someone want to potentially avoid some social commitments or even social situations in general. The underlying thread is the fear of judgment, of making mistakes, of being the center of attention, or of being negatively evaluated or embarrassed. These fears can sometimes lead people to avoid certain social situations entirely, or if they do participate, they might do so with significant distress. Social anxiety, in general terms, refers to the common feelings of nervousness or unease that most people experience in certain social situations, like giving a presentation or meeting someone for the first time. It's a natural response to potentially challenging or unfamiliar interactions. However, it's also possible for our level of social anxiety to wax and wane, depending on a variety of factors like what's going on in our lives, our ability to handle stress, etc. On the other hand, social anxiety disorder is a more severe and persistent condition that affects some people and which requires proper diagnosis by a qualified professional. It's not just about having occasional nerves. It's a chronic and intense fear of being judged or scrutinized in social settings often leading people to avoid these situations entirely. While fleeting moments of social anxiety and discomfort are a perfectly normal part of the human experience, this disorder can significantly disrupt your daily life and personal relationships. In this episode, I'll be sharing strategies for handling social anxiety in general, which will be helpful for everyone. But if you're dealing with a chronic and persistent case of social anxiety, then it's important to go and speak with a psychologist or psychiatrist who can make a proper diagnosis and help you to create a plan to manage your situation more intensively. For someone experiencing social anxiety, ordinary interactions can create feelings of extreme self-consciousness, and this can then manifest with symptoms like a racing heart, sweaty palms, a shaky voice, or even a blank mind. Many people with social anxiety describe feeling as if they're constantly under a spotlight, being critically analyzed by those around them. Now, of course, our rational minds know that people aren't paying attention to us in the way that we think they are. Everybody else is too busy caught up in their own stuff and worrying about how other people are perceiving them to even notice that thing you think everyone can see. 
But when anxiety takes over, it's common for logic and reason to go straight out the window. And so our mind begins finding more and more to be fearful about. So with that in mind, now let's talk about why social anxiety happens. And just as with most things related to mental health, there isn't one simple straightforward answer. Social anxiety is a complex condition that comes from a combination of various internal and external factors. Let's unpack these to understand why social anxiety occurs. First, there are biological factors related to your brain. Certain parts of the brain are responsible for fear and anxiety. For example, an overactive amygdala can result in heightened responses to fear, which can contribute to feelings of anxiety. Further to that, imbalances in the neurotransmitters in your brain, particularly serotonin, may play a significant role. Serotonin is a chemical in the brain that helps to regulate your mood, and an imbalance can potentially contribute to social anxiety. Then there's genetic factors, and there's evidence to suggest that social anxiety can run in families. This doesn't necessarily mean it's entirely a product of genetics. The home environment and your upbringing can also contribute, but Genetics may contribute in some way. Then there's potentially learned behavior. Children often learn by observing adults, and if they grow up with parents or caregivers who demonstrate avoidant behaviors or express frequent fears about social interactions, then they might learn to respond to social situations in a similar anxious manner. Traumatic social experiences, especially during formative years, can also lead to social anxiety. So this might include bullying, rejection, humiliation, or public embarrassment. Over time, the fear of having these types of events repeat can sometimes lead to avoidant behaviors and increased anxiety. And another consideration is cultural factors. In some cultures that place a high value on conforming or on being and behaving in a particular way, people might worry about standing out or appearing different for fear of rejection, leading to heightened social anxiety. And let's talk about shyness. While they may seem quite similar, shyness and social anxiety have distinct differences And so it's not necessarily a contributing factor to social anxiety. Shyness is a temperament. It's a personality trait where an individual might generally feel uncomfortable in new or unfamiliar social situations. On the other hand, social anxiety is more severe, causing intense fear and often interfering with daily activities. The key difference is the intensity of the fear and the extent to which it impacts on the person's life. While a shy person might be hesitant, but will eventually adapt, someone with social anxiety might avoid social situations entirely, or persevere through them while potentially experiencing significant distress. So, what's happening in the brain and the body when you experience social anxiety? When the brain perceives a threat, in this case being a challenging social interaction for someone with social anxiety, the body's fight or flight response is triggered. 
It's actually more like fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. This is an instinctive protective mechanism buried deep in our brains, which readies us to either face the perceived threat, run away from it, go rigid and still, or grovel and kiss up to someone if we need to. We also experience a range of physical symptoms, such as the brain sends signals to the adrenal glands to pump out adrenaline, heart rate and blood pressure rise to push more oxygen to the muscles and vital organs, breathing becomes rapid to take in more oxygen, blood sugar levels rise, providing an energy boost, pupils dilate for clearer vision, Digestion slows down, redirecting energy to muscles. So, while these responses are very handy if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger fresh off a hunger strike, they're not so helpful in everyday social situations in the 21st century. The thing is that over time, having this kind of fear-based anxious response activated repeatedly can lead to issues with both your physical and mental health. So it's essential to deal with it and manage it proactively. If it's something that's having a significant effect on you, then you may need to get a formal diagnosis. Generally, for a diagnosis of social anxiety disorder to be made, the anxiety must be persistent for six months or more. A psychologist or psychiatrist will look for specific symptoms such as intense fear, an extreme fear of specific social situations or of performing in front of others, avoidance, actively avoiding those situations or enduring them with immense distress, physical symptoms, these can range from sweating, trembling, a rapid heartbeat to nausea, disruption to daily life, the anxiety, fear, or avoidance causes clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning, and consistent anxiety. The fear or anxiety is not due to the physiological effects of a substance or another medical condition. It's also important to differentiate social anxiety from other mental disorders, which is why a formal diagnosis is essential, because many of these symptoms can also present in other conditions. So a detailed interview will need to be conducted to get an accurate diagnosis. Unfortunately, that three-minute quiz you took on the internet isn't going to cut it. The good news is that there are lots of treatments that are available for social anxiety disorder, including cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, exposure therapy, relaxation techniques, medication, etc. However, I do want to point out that as with many mental health challenges, it's not a case of just popping a pill and suddenly everything is perfect. Medication on its own is not a magic cure-all, but part of a multifaceted approach to your well-being that includes external treatment and support, along with things that you do yourself to work on your challenges a little at a time. So how do you do that? Well, 
Let's first take a quick break to hear from the brands who help me create this show each week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back. Now let's get into the how-to part of today's episode and let's talk about how to manage social anxiety in a healthy way. So aside from formal treatment, which becomes more and more important, the worse your situation may be, there are lots of practical things you can do to manage social anxiety in your daily life. First, deep breathing. And there's a very good reason that this suggestion is made a lot when it comes to anxiety, not just by me, but by lots of different anxiety resources that you'll come across. And that's because it works. When we feel anxious, we can tend to take shallow breaths. However, taking deep, controlled breaths can calm the nervous system. The simplest way to do this is to close your eyes, be still, and then gently inhale for a count of four, hold it for four, then exhale for a count of four, and then pause for a count of four. So let me take you through this briefly now. If you're able to do this safely, then please join me, but not if you're out walking or driving. I don't want to be responsible for you having an accident. Okay, so breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four, pause, two, three, four, and open your eyes and breathe naturally. So I'd encourage you to do that for at least 30 seconds or so if you feel anxious or are struggling longer if you can, because it will really help to soothe your nervous system and bring you out of that fight, flight, freeze, fawn state that I talked about, which happens because your instincts have taken over. So you're operating on pure adrenaline and emotions. It can take anywhere between 8 and 15 seconds for your rational brain to catch up when that happens. So you want to give yourself enough time to settle your nerves before you even think about what to do next. Okay, next, ground yourself. And that means using a simple technique to anchor your focus in the moment as a way of being present and finding a greater sense of calm and clarity. A popular one is the 54321 technique, not to be confused with the 5678 technique, where you sing the classic late 90s song by steps to yourself. <laughs> With the 54321 technique, you identify five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two you can smell, and one thing you can taste. It grounds you in the physical sensations of the present, and so it can be really helpful for calming your anxiety in social situations. 
It's also really helpful if you're ruminating over the past or worrying about the future. I talked about being present in episode 83, so you'll find that helpful as well. Okay, next, use daily grounding affirmations. So bear with me for a minute while I give you a bit of background about why I'm saying this one. Late last year, I went through a period of a few months where my anxiety was through the roof again, and I ended up having to go back on anti-anxiety medication. I talked about that in the podcast at the time, and I mentioned what a struggle I had with it, and it almost felt like I had failed in some way because after all these years of being off medication, suddenly I felt like I had no choice but to go back on. Now I look back at that and realize that it wasn't such a bad thing. My feelings at the time were perfectly valid and understandable. However, it's only because I also started incorporating some daily grounding affirmations into my morning routine that I can now look at the situation in a much more objective and understanding way. So each morning, I use a list of 50 affirmations and I spend a few minutes while I drink my coffee reading them and saying them in my head. And what it's done for me, at least, is help me to better understand myself and why safety and security have been such areas of difficulty for me throughout my life. So now I'm better able to meet my needs to feel grounded and safe because I'm no longer judging it or trying to pretend it's not there. But instead, I'm more accepting of it and much more compassionate to myself. I mean, a few years ago, there is no way I would ever have sat here telling you this because I just didn't feel good about all the stuff bubbling away under the surface. So I barely wanted to admit it to myself, let alone to all of you on the internet. Do a quick search and find some affirmations that work for you. Maybe just start off with four or five that resonate with you and take a minute or two each day to repeat them to yourself and reflect on them and make it a habit you stick with daily. Okay, next, challenge negative thought. When you catch yourself thinking negatively about an upcoming social situation, actively challenge those thoughts. Ask yourself, what's the evidence for and against this thought? Or, what would I tell a friend in a similar situation? As I've said many times in this podcast, thoughts are not facts. So, challenging them like this often helps you to let them go. And I covered thoughts back in episode 123. Next, prepare and practice. If there's a particular social event or situation causing anxiety, practice for it. That might mean rehearsing a presentation, role-playing a conversation, or even just planning out topics to discuss. Often it's the fear of the unknown and the unfamiliar that triggers our anxiety. So this can help you to become more familiar with what to expect. Another way to do this is with visualization. Imagine yourself successfully navigating the social situation, which can help boost your confidence and reduce your apprehension. If you find yourself getting nervous at job interviews like me, this is a particularly good one to help put you more at ease. So can having someone do a mock interview with you so the real thing feels less daunting. 
Next, set small goals. Instead of jumping straight into a big social event or situation, maybe start with smaller interactions and gradually increase your exposure as you gain confidence. In fact, this is a really effective way to do things, and I'm exploring it in more detail in this week's video on my YouTube channel. You'll find it linked in the episode description. So watch that to find out more about how to do this effectively. Okay, next, ask for what you need. If your social anxiety is impacting your relationship with family and friends, let them know what's happening and be upfront with them about how they can support you. Trust me when I tell you from first-hand knowledge that it's much better to be honest than to hope it will all figure itself out or that they'll work it out because that's very unlikely to happen. I know it can feel a bit terrifying, but the people who genuinely care about you will not judge you. And if they do, then I'd be questioning how much they care about you over their own agenda. Nobody can read minds, and so if you need something, then you need to ask for it. Okay, next, avoid substances, including alcohol. So, although having a drink or whatever might seem helpful in terms of boosting your confidence, you'll generally find that substances impair your judgment and lower your inhibitions, increasing the likelihood that you'll do or say something which will have you feeling remorse and regret the next day. And that can lead to a self-reinforcing negative cycle. So it's best to remain clear-headed and in control. And by the way, alcohol is a depressant. So over time, it's going to have a cumulative negative effect on your system. This is something I talked about recently in episode 191 about alcohol. So check that out if you haven't already. All my past episodes can be found at ltamh.com under the Episodes tab, or just search on your preferred podcast service. Next, distract yourself. Earlier on, I mentioned that I know I'll likely become anxious when I go to the big box hardware store, so I come armed with my Kindle and my headphones so I can sit in the cafe and distract myself when it all gets a bit much. If there are common situations where you know you're likely to struggle, be prepared with a couple of distractions that work for you. The other one I find soothes me is playing Wordle on my phone. Find out what works for you. Okay, next, educate yourself. Understanding social anxiety can sometimes help reduce its scariness. There are lots of resources, books, and online sites dedicated to providing insights, Or you could join a support group online or in real life to learn more, as well as having somewhere to share your feelings, concerns, and successes. Next, journal. Because writing down anxious thoughts, feelings, and experiences can provide clarity and a way of processing your emotions. Next, reward yourself. And that means to celebrate even small victories. If you achieved a social goal, even if it's just attending a gathering for a short time, reward yourself. And well done, by the way. And you'll find tips on how goal setting helps you to manage social anxiety in my latest video. It's out now on YouTube and Spotify, and it's linked in the episode description. Because when it comes to social anxiety and mental health, what it all boils down to is this. Left unaddressed, social anxiety can do a lot of harm to your mental health and general well-being. It's natural to feel anxious sometimes, 
But if it's getting in the way of your ability to live life and look after your social well-being, then you need to do something to take control. Create a plan that works for you, seek support and guidance where necessary, and take small steps each day towards improving your social well-being. The choice is yours, as it is with all things related to your well-being. So, what choice will you make today? Each week, I like to finish up by sharing a quote about the week's topic, and I encourage you to take a few moments to really reflect on it and consider what it means to you. This week's quote is by Walter Anderson, and it is, Nothing diminishes anxiety faster than action. Let me repeat that. Nothing diminishes anxiety faster than action. All right, that's nearly it for this week. Next week, I'll be talking about emotional regulation. If you've ever found your emotions taking over and struggling to get past them, then you'll know what I mean when I say that emotions can make an enormous mess of things sometimes. Emotions are important, but it's about learning to manage them by finding a healthy balance between emotional reaction and rational responses. And that's what I'll be exploring next time. I'll be talking about what emotional regulation is and what it isn't, why it matters, and how to regulate your emotions for the sake of your mental health. I hope you'll join me for that episode, which will be released on Sunday, the 24th of September, 2023. You'll find more mental health content on my YouTube channel and in my weekly newsletter, Thursday Thoughts, plus on my two Instagram accounts, LTA Mental Health and It's Jeremy Godwin, where I post extra content daily. And if you'd like to support my work and get ad-free episodes and bonus content, as well as access to episodes a week before everyone else, then become a supporter on Patreon. You'll find all of those linked in the episode description and in the transcript at ltamh.com. Thank you very much for joining me today. Look after yourself and make a conscious effort to share positivity and kindness out into the world, because you get back what you put out. Take care and talk to you next time. Let's Talk About Mental Health is an independent program proudly produced by Reconnaissance Media, helping you find meaning and gratitude. For more information, visit reconnaissancemedia.com.